to the Live to Give podcast Sunday Sermons, where each week you get to hear the message preached at Faith Church in Lansing, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey everyone, uh, we are wrapping up our You Asked For It series. We've been prepping you for this moment right here where our entire teaching team, which is us right here, minus Kirk, our senior pastor, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the other questions that you submitted, ones that we weren't able to hit during the, the series. We felt like those ones that we hit, we really needed to spend a huge chunk of time talking about it, and that's why we singled those out. But during this time, we're going to talk about a lot of the other questions that you submitted. Um, and, and just to, to preface, preface uh, what we're about to share, uh, in no way are we saying we are experts in any of this. Um, in no way are we claiming that we know it all, especially with these topics. Uh, what we are going to share, and there may even be uh, differences up on the stage, maybe even uh, some disagreement, um, but this is just from our own experience uh, in faith and what that looks like and who Jesus is. And so uh, we're just prefacing that, that we will answer to the best of our abilities and our experiences uh, and uh, what we believe to be true. But we also celebrate differing opinions. We celebrate that we do not have to all be robots um, and know everything. Uh, God is forgiving. He is not looking down on this moment if any one of us is wrong in our answer. Uh, he's not looking down at us being like, those guys got that wrong. He, he's celebrating that we're having this discussion. He's, he's uh, loving that his children are just talking about him, even if they're wrong. Um, and so we, we will do our best to answer as truthfully, individually as we can for you all. Um, but we, uh, we just wanted to throw that out there as a disclaimer. Also, if we don't fully answer the question that you have for us, um, feel free to email us at hello at wearefaithchurch.com and we'll, uh, we'll follow up. We'll have one of us uh, communicate back with you uh, to talk more about it. So we're just going to hit them pretty quick. I'm going to kind of be the host during this time and I'll speak up a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, not all of us are going to be talking for each topic. Just a few of us will be hitting it each time. So why don't I just quickly introduce the rest of the panel up here. Uh, over here on my far right is uh, Pastor Courtney. Uh, she is our youth pastor for the fifth and sixth graders. This is Pastor Nate. Uh, he is our spiritual formations pastor. Again, I'm Evan, Pastor Evan. Uh, I'm operations pastor. This is our worship director, Ashley. And then on the other end here is our uh, youth pastor for middle school and high school, Sam. And so uh, this is your teaching team and your panel for today. So you guys ready? Should we dive in? Yeah? Let's do it. Okay. All right. There's no easy way. We're kind of jumping in this right away. So here we go. Here we go. One person's question was, is there an unforgivable sin? Is there an unforgivable sin? Thoughts on that? I'll take that one. Uh, my talk in the series was about sin and God's love. Uh, and so in that, I actually had done a little bit of research on this topic of an unforgivable sin, but chose to leave it out of my sermon. So here's a little bit of kind of what I found. Uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, this idea of an unforgivable sin comes across where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he pretty much tells them that this, the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit is unforgivable, is kind of the gist of what he's saying there. And so we get this idea of, hey, there's an unforgivable sin because Jesus kind of hinted at this idea. And so what that really means, though, is you pull that 
what he's saying and who he's talking to, the context of that passage, is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, which were the Jewish religious leaders of the time who were so like anti-Jesus that they had completely like hardened their hearts, their minds, everything to him to the point where Jesus had just performed miracles and he had just driven out demons out of somebody. And they're like, no, 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 that's just Satan. He's just another part of Satan. That's all he is. And so that's when Jesus looks at them and he's like, no, how dare you guys? And so that's where this idea of like blaspheming the Holy Spirit is that their hearts were so hardened that Jesus was basically saying like, you, you guys, you're totally missing the point here. And so is there an unforgivable sin? I would say yes, but it's to the point of rejecting Jesus over and over to the point where your heart is so hardened, you are not even remotely interested and it's a very intentional thing. So I want to say, too, that if you think maybe, oh, like maybe I've said something that would upset God or, hey, have I had this unforgivable sin in my life? If you have that question, the answer is no, <laughs> because like you're, you're actually aware your, your heart is softened enough to say like, oh, I don't want to do that. I do care what God thinks about me. We're talking here about somebody who is just very adamantly anti-God, anti the Holy Spirit to the point of just in your face, God that their heart is so hard and that they, they cannot turn back to him. Cool. Cool. Great. Thank you. Wait, you think that's cool? That one's gone. <laughs> uh, no, it's not a cool thing. I was just like, man, great. All right, here we go. Not a good throw. I nah. tried. I can't control it. Uh, how can I prove the Bible is historically accurate? How can I prove the Bible is historically accurate? Sam. I'll start out with this one. Um, so there's there's actually a lot of reasons, a lot of things surrounding this question, a lot of a lot of like options or ways you can you can follow, trace this back and find out that the Bible is actually rather historically accurate. Um, the first the, the one that comes to my head is is what, do you guys I don't remember the name of it, but it's that cave that that kid found. He threw a rock and it went in the cave, and then he found all these scrolls, the Dead, the sea, Dead scrolls. sea Scrolls. That's the one. I was gonna walk my way to it eventually. I was gonna get some there. people call it the Cave Kid Scrolls. The Cave Kid Scrolls. Yeah. that's what I'm calling it from now Why on. Why not? The scrolls with the kid. Um, so what? <laughs> what this kid stumbled upon? He threw a rock in a cave. I guess that's the story. I don't know how accurate that is. He goes in this cave. What they what he ended up stumbling upon was a bunch of scrolls that actually have some of the original text from the Bible, and they dated it back to like the first century, which means that it's it's quite accurate in that it's it's very recent to when it was written to begin with so so we and we have like um that's just like the biggest finding that we've had we've also have tons of other things that we found different fragments and pieces of the scriptures that we found that we that we have like archived we can go through and look and and we as we read through the bible um in the original text and stuff where looking at these scripts and we're finding where it lines up and we're finding that there's a lot of accuracies between a lot of these older scrolls as well as what we're currently reading and writing or reading and studying today. So I think that as far as like, if we're talking like literal accuracy is in like the, what we are reading is what was written. I think that there's a lot of pieces when it comes to like scrolls and stuff that, that have um, proven accuracy in, in the, our, our, scribes and what we've written and, and passed down along. There's also the side of it where if you go really far back, there's a lot of stories and things that, that have come up and like, like the big ones that I'm thinking of, like the flood, right? 
So people are always like, well, how do we prove that there was actually a flood? How do we actually know if that's real or not? Like, where's the, where's the evidence? And I think that um, something that we're starting to really dig in and look into a lot now is, is we're looking at other cultures from the time and the stories that they shared and talked about. And it's like the flood is the one that always comes to my mind because it's something that's like, if that actually, like if, that, if we can find that happening, we're going to see it in other cultures too. And we actually have. Like other cultures talk about things like the flood and talk about other big like global events that are written about in the scriptures. So I think that when we're really looking at the, like the historical accuracy of the scripture, if we're talking just what was written, is it still accurate today or what we're reading today? Is that what was written then? We have a lot of scroll fragments and pieces that, that are line up almost directly or directly to the, to the scriptures. And a lot of times they don't line up directly. There's like footnotes in your Bible that say like, oh, this one wasn't, wasn't in the original text, but like we have it from other texts. Right, and if we're talking just like big events and things that happened, um, the accuracy behind those a lot of times is we can see them in other cultures around around the, the world. Yeah, yeah. I'd also add that they're uh, discovering more and more things that um, are lining up with Scripture. Uh, there's still so much that they haven't discovered, just like any part of history, um, because we're talking thousands of years ago. Um, but the one that really sticks out to me uh, is uh, somewhere. Uh, around the time that Jesus was crucified uh, and then raised and then went to heaven, um, there was a monumental shift in culture at that time where the, the growth of Christianity back then at that time when Jesus died, rose, and, and went to heaven, um, something crazy happened. And, and the only explanation that people can really give to it is that potentially what they said was real. Um, they just see in uh, history that there is a major, major swing in people who believed in Christianity, believed in this Jesus guy around that time. And so uh, that's just something that was really interesting to me when it came to the historical accuracy of Jesus. And, and Jesus and other characters are mentioned outside of Scripture in tons of different historical um, documents. Um, and also, uh, I found this quote when I was doing a little bit of research for this uh, um, this question, and it's from the uh, the uh, Smithsonian Institute Department of Anthropology. All right, so from the Smithsonian, their official stance on uh, uh, the Old Testament specifically says this: the historical books of the Old Testament are as accurate historical documents as any that we have from antiquity, and are in fact more accurate than many of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian and Greek histories. These biblical records can be and are used as other ancient documents in archaeological work. So that's an official statement from the Smithsonian around the historical accuracy of the Bible. So people who don't even believe in the Bible sometimes use the Bible as reference. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, any additional thoughts or moving on? Awesome. That was a good, that one went off the stage Ooh, this one's a heavy one, heavy one. What does revelations look like in today's terms? So this person's they're, they're asking about the last book in scripture called Revelation. It's a very heavy book. It's uh, apocalyptic. Uh, a lot of people would classify it as. So what does that look like in today's terms? I think it... Uh... <clears throat> I don't know. I have trouble with questions like this only because not anything in offense to people. Cause I think there's with revelation, with what's going on today, it's 
incredibly interesting. So it sparks curiosity. And I'm right there with you. I, I get very curious when it comes to looking at what's happening to this world in comparison to the book of Revelation. But we have to take the book of Revelation with a grain of salt, if you will, because <clears throat> there is an incredible amount of symbolism that we do not know how to interpret whatsoever. It's in its own cate category for genre of how you even classify that book. Um, and so to go out um, and try to figure it out is really, really difficult. It's not saying that's impossible by any means, because there's principles throughout the whole book of uh, the Re book of Revelation that are incredibly important for us today. When we look at the seven churches, there's so many pertinent information, but it's not talking about the end times per se with them. It's more the end times later on in the book um, that that can totally go uh, with churches today. But here's the thing that comes down for me. Are you more obsessed with trying to crack the code or I guess trying to be more obedient to what Jesus has said? He doesn't, he, he's, the father is the only one that knows. God is the only one who actually knows what's going to happen. So to be fixated on the tribulation, post-trib, pre-trib, whatever you want to, um, dispensationalism, whatever you want to talk about when it comes to the theories of revelation, um, I think is totally fine. But when we go to apply them and we say they're, they, you know, what John was talking about are tanks and helicopters. For me, that's really far-fetched. And so for me, I more or less try to take the promise and the principle of what Jesus shared with us that the father is the one who knows and that's it. So our curiosity can totally go there. We can totally study it. But when we actually look of it, look at it, and we, we just don't have a clue, and we can't we can't really dive into that uh, more uh, unless Jesus changes his mind. <laughs> and I would add too, like the there's so much around the spirit of Antichrist and everything like that, but that's actually plural. There's so many forces working against God's plan, and um, the cool thing is that we know the end of the story that Jesus comes back, and you know we get to live forever in eternity with our Savior and. So that's, that's where I kind of try to stay because we can't figure things out. But at the same time, we can see glimpses into the influence um, that is playing out in the world. Brother turning against brother with nations fighting themselves, you know, and all this disagreement and divisiveness. And you know that's not God's plan for us. You know that that's not him influencing us in that way. So I think we can see things play out, but yeah, there's no way as far as asking what is the day or when is that, that's not our business to even try to guess or why would we want to, you know? I want to live in freedom that God gives me now and just focus on who he is and in his glory in that way. Does that make sense? That's a tough one. That's a good question, though. It's incredibly tough, and I think there's even another level to it, and that is when we really look at the book of Revelation, we look at Daniel, parts of Daniel, parts of Matthew, there's there's a, a bunch of different parts of Scripture that point towards the end times. Um, what we find when we actually look into trying our best to see what's happening around the biblical times versus now, a lot of the things that were we thought were end times actually already happened. I, I don't know how many times we have wasted time thinking about the number 666 or 616 and tried to figure out how does that work? Where does that fit in society? And there were so many different places back then that actually it already applied. So we don't really know all the ins and outs to that, but it's another example where we have really gone into a rabbit trail to create more. I did not turn my phone off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting a phone call. His phone's ringing right now. That's all right. Not you want to answer important. it? I should have answered it. That would have been awesome. Somebody from, yeah, not here. But uh, 
Yeah, so here's where I get excited about it. We're getting excited. I get excited because we actually get to see more of how the Bible came to life during the time and then also how it will apply to us. But when we talk revelation, that is incredibly difficult. And I really, I would submit to you that majority of that has already happened except for the last parts of the book of Revelation. Um, there's so much that we can prove on that too. But man, I, I feel like we just, it, it can be a time waster instead of focusing how are we loving others. Yeah. Really when it comes down to it, it's never been later than it is now. And Jesus said, go and make disciples and show them my love. You know, and so that's, that's what we're called to do. Yeah, I find when people are obsessed with revelations, Ezekiel, other prophecy, uh, they tend to be some of the more stressed out people in this world. And it's heartbreaking. That's not Jesus's best for you. It's almost paranoia. Yeah. Because if you really do, we we don't have a clue. So like what's going to happen, all this stuff. I mean, it it can be scary. And to me, I think the product of it is fear. Yeah. And that's, I don't think fear doesn't come from God either. Yeah. That's good guys. Real good. Thank you for the question. Uh, Here's a, uh, another one. This one was written by a four-year-old girl. It's really cute and sweet, but also heartbreaking. But we want to talk about it. We want to honor her question. Why does God let me have bad dreams? I know, that's a heavy one. Who wants to tackle that one? <laughs> Here, I will. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I do love that question, actually, especially coming from a child. Like, I just, it warms my heart in a like you said, kind of a heartbreaking-ish way, but also I just love that she's willing to ask the question. Um, So a lot of times when we have bad dreams or we have nightmares, it's driven from fears that we have. Um, Some fears or just different things that maybe have happened in life that have happened or things that potentially could happen to us. And the reality is, is that we live in a world where sin exists, where bad things do happen in our lives because of sin. And so we have fears in our lives. And so sometimes when we have those fears or whatever it might be that you're having the bad dreams about, you go to bed and your brain just goes there. And I want to say too that our brains are incredible, that God made our brains just absolutely amazing. It's a wild thing, right? Like they say we use what, like an eighth of our brain or something like that, something ridiculous. Like we use such a small portion of our brain Uh, that God made our brains so incredible that even when we sleep, it's still thinking like crazy. And so these fears come out. And so what I would say too is that when we have those fears, even in our dreams, to just stop and pray and just to ask Jesus to be there with you, to comfort you, and just to remind you that, hey, yeah, you might have these fears, but God is so much bigger than those fears and so much bigger than those dreams. And maybe even just before you go to bed, just pray for that prayer as well, that God will keep those dreams away. That's really good. I think there's a biological aspect to this as well. Like, like I totally agree with you that like there's definitely um, – there's definitely like like we live in a in the fallen world, the broken world where there is sin and there is bad things. But I also think that like our brains are so complex and there's all these chemicals that are working together and going on. And sometimes it's just it just happens because our body is like maybe we didn't we ate something funny or maybe we just didn't get good sleep or maybe we're just not quite you know actually falling fully asleep that kind of thing. Like sometimes sometimes it is just simply our body isn't resting well. And again, I still think that the best way to the best way to handle that it was is to is to pray about it. Like the best way to handle it is to pray about it. And if it's something that's like persistent, you can't get to go away as like even as an adult or you can't figure it out, and it's something that's like causing you causing you to not sleep, 
I know that I've, I've, I've had experience with people who had um, pretty severe PTSD and trauma, and it would actually manifest in their sleep as in, like, night terrors. And in those situations, then seek some some outer help, too. Seek some uh, a counselor or some guidance on, on that kind of sleep therapy stuff so that way you can actually get some rest. Like, But I, I think that on, on top of that, on top of it being spiritual, it can also just be biological. And, there's, and prayer and, and seeking help is always a great way to handle that, too. Good. Um, and that actually leads us to another question that uh, it's similar, but more from the adult perspective. Um, this person asked the question, what is Satan allowed to do here on earth? What is Satan allowed to do? And again, another very heavy uh, conversation. I think we hit some of that in the previous question, but um, what, what else would we like to add to it? It's a tough question. Uh Especially, especially because of the way it was is is written. Uh, Satan being allowed uh, is is hard for me to unpack because I feel like this person, whoever wrote the question, is also like I, I don't know if there's something there <laughs> more than just the question, but it seems like from a very negative kind of point. Um, it's already saying Satan is allowed to do things, and we may not know all the ins and outs of how it perfectly goes together. But the fact is, sin entered the world because of our choices. It wasn't simply because God allowed it. It's because he allows us to have a choice. Um, it's not about him allowing good and evil. It's him being good and him being a loving father, allowing us to choose whether to love him back or not. And it's in our disobedience, sin entered this world. Um, and I, I feel like so many people get hung up on the fact that God's allowing this to happen when we should be looking at it from a completely different perspective, that God is with us in the midst of our poor choices. He has never left us. He's continuing to bring redemption through us from the beginning, and it's not going to stop. He is, uh, as one author put it, an unstoppable force. And in that, I think that's what we have to trust in because it feels like there's a truth here that's been twisted. And I feel like if we, <clears throat> we even have theologians that camped out with believing God created evil, God created um, this whole concept of sin. And theologians, uh, that one in particular, Augustine, his whole life, he actually left the church, went to a cult, had a child in this cult with another person, and then uh, had a moment with the divine where he realized, actually, we are to blame for sin. And he came back in full force to the Christian faith and has written many of our theology uh, um, to this day. And so there's something there that can trap us, not just brainwash or anything. It's something that is a stronghold. If we believe God allowed uh, some horrible things to happen in this world, all coming from sin, we really have to pray about that. I feel like we really have to offer that up to God to ask to wrestle and to really come to the conclusion, no, if he didn't allow us to have a choice to choose him or not, the point of that would be we couldn't choose to love him. We would be robots. We, we would not have choice in this, in this life whatsoever. So that's just what comes out of me when wrestling with that question. Yeah, I can actually speak to that really quickly too. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that one thing that you're really, that you were talking about, like there's this underlying sense of like there's something going on when you word it like, it, it, it almost feels like we're implying that it's God's fault. 
like, like God is to blame for the sin or God is to blame for whatever is going on. And I think a part of that might be because it's, it's easier for us to, to recognize when we're the ones who do the sin, but it's hard for us to recognize when we're having, like we're experiencing an effect of some other sin, right? Because a lot of times when we, when we talk about this, we're like, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Like if I didn't do any, if I didn't directly sin and cause this bad thing to happen to me, why is it happening to me? Well, it could just be a side effect of, of some other sin somewhere else that, and you're just catching the you're just catching the the splash of that or however you want to word it, and I think that that's just the nature of sin being in our world, and and so it's like you said I think if we're applying, if if we're gonna if you can't we have to be careful how we word that question because because we don't want to imply that we're blaming God for for the sin in the world because it's not like like you said it's it's something that we brought in. Well, if I can have one more thing, it, what I think it really comes out to is is a wound. Somewhere along the way, um, we get wounded, and it's either by the church or by God. And in our perspective, in that wounding, uh, we, we apply it all to God. Um, and somehow we get to this idea where we're thinking, if I got hurt by something good, there's something wrong with God. And I feel like that's really difficult to walk through. And I've talked to so many people that have left a church, not our church, but just throughout my experience in church. I've, I've talked to a lot of people and that seems to be a big topic um, with them. There's a wound that they received here at church or they, a wound that they, they now really do blame God, like Sam was saying. And, and it's really more about the wound than about the theology. That's good. Any, any other thoughts or should we move on? All right. Uh, great question, though. Yeah. Whoever asked that, uh, I think especially that one. You should email us and uh, talk to one of us about that because that's that's a heavy question that we could even cover. Honestly, probably even in a sermon, it needs a conversation with someone who's wrestling through that. Let's move on. Here we go. Uh, we live life here and then go on to praise God all day in heaven. They're, they're proposing that as a question, like that's what we do. Isn't that a, a bit narcissistic of God? Um, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Uh, I actually love talking about heaven and stuff. And I'll tell you why. Growing up, I thought heaven was in the sky. And I thought we would be in a place of clouds with some gold and on the streets and a castle where Jesus lived. And uh, we would all just be standing in the streets or wherever uh, singing all day long to God. And I grew up thinking, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. <laughs> that does not sound like paradise, that I will all of a sudden turn into a robot when I die and, and get to heaven. Um, and so it was, a, it was a question that I always had growing up. And, and whoever wrote this, you're right, that does sound like a narcissistic God. Uh, thankfully, that isn't who our God is. That is a very old um, very, I would say, narrow-minded understanding of heaven. Um, we get different glimpses of what heaven is like, but ultimately it is a restoration of what we have here. Um, it's a restoration. It's bringing us back to the garden. Now, what does that mean that all of a sudden we're all going to be walking around like Adam and Eve were pre-sin? We're going to be tending to all these, uh, like we're, suddenly we're all farmers or something? Like, I don't know if that's even it. It'd have to be naked time. Yes, yeah. Are we all going to be naked? You know, like, like. But uh, I, I think it's more along the lines of like life is going to be 
um, very similar to what we have here, just perfect. Because it is fully in the presence of God where sin is removed, death is defeated, um, and our focus isn't about let's all sing beautifully to God. It'll be about the things that God loves. He loves, uh, of course, um, just us and his children. He loves being with us. And I, I think it's going to be a lot of that. I think it's going to be us in communion with God. And we find communion here on earth with God in nature, in reading, in singing, in uh, good food. Um, all of that, I believe, will be a part of God. And so the, to answer your question, uh, is that what we're going to be doing? I, I don't believe so, and I don't think you can make a strong biblical argument that we would be just singing all day. Um, and, uh, and a God who does do that does sound narcissistic, uh, but I don't believe that is the God of the Bible. Any other thoughts around that? So, I mean, in, I think it is the book of Revelation, it does say that the angels are praising him and the saints are on their face praising him day and night. And it just makes me think, like, could you truly be in God's glory and not have so much joy and not have like just emotion or whatever it is, you know, like we tear up when we're leading worship or when we're singing to God and everything, but could you not be in your Savior's presence and not have all of that? Like mm -hmm. this is the creator of the universe. So whatever we are doing, it's just going to be in God's glory, his yeah. actual living glory and i just it's going to be amazing whatever it is yeah any any other thoughts anyone wants to throw out there yeah i just think a little bit i think you may have hit on it uh but just this idea of like when there is no sin there's nothing there like yeah we're going to be praising god in what we're doing it's not necessarily yeah. sitting there praising him like singing songs the whole time but just in being who he created us to be in, like in the garden, perfect beings in heaven, that that in itself is bringing him praise and it's bringing him glory. And that's kind of how I picture it and envision that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone always teases about how we're going to have mansions in heaven and stuff like that. Well, what's the mansion for if you just have to go and sing in an assembly hall the, all the time, right? Like, um, anyways, this is a stupid thought. Why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> Stick to the None script. None of us have ever had that experience anyway, so it's not like we'll we can really, yeah, we'll find yeah. out. I did hear a good example All right. that really I've thought about for years uh, from a pastor. Uh, he, he was just talking about eternity and how he gave the illustration, whatever you do in life where time stops for you. Like um, for students, I used to talk to the student ministry all the time. If you play video games and time stop, you were really enjoying the fact that you get to play with your friends, whatever. Uh, when I was a kid, I would, I would lose track of time. All, I got grounded more for that than anything else. Uh, but when you lose track of time, is that a glimpse of eternity? When you actually are so full of joy, so full of thankfulness, gratitude, you're just focused on having fun, is that more of a glimpse of what heaven could be? And I, that's stuck with me for a long time because I feel like there is eternity in our hearts. We do see glimpses of that. We don't know what it all looks like, but I feel like, can you imagine a place without a deadline? Can you imagine a place without time? Um, that's pretty, I think that's pretty powerful. Can you imagine what those backyard barbecues are going to be like? It's going to be good eating. Trust me. So there will be golf in heaven. Golf? Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. yeah. For okay. those, uh, it does bring tempers out for others. I've seen clubs. <laughs> yeah. For you, maybe. I don't know about me. But there will be I don't no, know if I can no do bad shots. <laughs> Imagine throwing clubs. Like <laughs> uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, this person asked, uh, I understand the need to forgive others. How do I do that, though? So they're looking for a practical way 
to uh, forgive people? What does that look like? Yeah, I actually, I think that one was actually just after your message on forgiveness. I saw it out on the board. Um, it makes my heart happy that people are asking these questions because there's so much. Forgiveness is not brushing things under the rug, everything's fine again. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is like, it's just, it's releasing it. It's giving it to God saying, I don't want this to be who I am. I don't want the bitterness. I don't want the anger or the hurt to, to stay with me. I'm giving this to you, Lord. I am letting go of what happened. I'm letting go of the situation. I am praying that you will heal me. You know, it's trusting in him to take that from you. It's like having a bill and having it be, you know, like he owes me money, but I'm going to forgive this loan. So I'm giving it to him. I'm giving it to God. And now it's between him and God. Whoever hurts us clearly has their own struggle in life. You know, we're not, we weren't meant to be divisive. We're meant to be hurtful people. We were meant to have relationship, perfect relationship. And so when people are doing those things, they have their own battles. They have their own struggles. And we can only control ourselves and how we respond to things. And so I, I think that's one of the most freeing things for me is forgiving, forgiving people. It does not mean you have to be best friends again. It does not mean you're like brushing off what they did. It means you're letting go of it and you're allowing God to heal you and you're not hanging on to it. That's, yeah. Good. That's good. Uh, one thing I would add is um, uh, I, I was wronged by a close friend of mine on like three different occasions. And I just recognized in my own personal life, like I needed to cut this person out. They just aren't for me. Um, it was just a line that they crossed for me one too many times. Um, and I was really upset with the person for a while, um, for like a couple of years. And uh, um, I just, I, I could tell like it truly wasn't forgiven on my side. Even though I cut them off and stuff, that isn't forgiveness. Um, however, it doesn't mean restoration either. It doesn't mean I'm bringing that person back. So honestly, what happened between me and this person was I cut off ties, and I, I promise you, I have a pure heart around the idea of I want what is best for that person. I hope they have an amazing career ahead of them, that their family is just so blessed, like um, all those things. Man, I want that for that person. Um, it, but I, I I'm also not going to be friends with this person anymore either. And so for me, that's how I knew I crossed this line of like pure, true forgiveness for this person is when I wanted what is best for them, truly. Um, and so I'd encourage you to keep on pushing to get to that point where you can say, I want what is purely best for this person. I just know I can't be a part of that at this time. Hello. I just want to say, too, when I was looking through my sermon, doing some research on sin, uh, this actually popped up as well as I was looking through some books and stuff. And it was interesting to me that in the Old Testament, you see nowhere where it says you should forgive someone else. It's always, and in the Jewish culture as well, that you should, it's only God that can forgive that only God has the power to forgive. And then Jesus comes and you see the shift happen where he says, forgive others, love others and forgive others. And I think what's happening here is a very cool thing where after Jesus, if you've accepted him into your life, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Like God is with you and in you. And now we have the power to forgive. That it's not our humanness. And so I think that's probably where the struggle is. Like I understand I have to forgive, but how do I do that? 
in your humanness, you can't because it's a God thing. It's not something like in our human nature, we don't want to forgive. We want to hold a grudge. We want to just, you know, put the person aside and move on, whatever it's going to be. Uh, but it really is something you have to have God very much alongside of you and seeking him to truly forgive, like Evan was saying, to be able to, to move on from that, but in a good way and wish well for the person. Even though in your humanness, you may not forget what they did to you. It's not a matter of, oh, I totally forgot. I forgot that ever happened. That's not going to happen because we still are human. But through the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to forgive. That's good. That's really good. Can I bring up yeah. one more thing? No. Since we're on this topic of forgiveness, like when when we need to be forgiven, we need to ask forgiveness too. Like that goes along with forgiving ourselves and we, like through God's power. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're going to forgive us. So all of this, like it says, how do I do it? I think the I is the key part of this question because we can only control what we do, how we respond. And then they have to come to that same place. You know, they, we might ask forgiveness. We might, our lives might be completely different than what happened before, but we can't force them to see it. Like that, we have to get through that forgiveness process on our own time and with God's help. Yeah. I do have more to add to. Great. So, why not? <clears throat> yeah, here's just more time on this. But I think it's super important. Uh, there's this idea of sacrament theology where we have sacraments of communion and baptism. And we really do, the definition of a sacrament for us is believing that that's the means of grace. That's where we meet the Holy Spirit is in a sacrament, taking on communion, taking on baptism. But here's the thing. The fuel for both communion and baptism is the supernatural power of forgiveness. That's, that's the thing that we have to think through. Like the only step that is truly supernatural is the act of forgiveness. There, we, there would be no way to forgive another person without Jesus. Um, and I feel like we don't realize how final and how supernatural that truly is when we actually go through it. And I think there's a huge difference between forgiveness and forgetting. Because there's trauma, there's crisis that's happened in our life, something's happened to you, you've been a victim of something. And part of the empowerment of how you've lived your life is overcoming that. And there's something in you that's saying, I don't want to forget it because it's kind of made me who I am in a good way. But here's what I want to say. To forgive the person is not forgetting the situation and not letting it all say it never happened. Forgiveness is simply giving up um, your right to imprison yourself and and actually find freedom. And so I, I just feel like forgiveness, freedom, sacraments, all that fits together. And I, I feel like we need to think more about that um, in general. Yeah, that's good. All right, this one is a quick mental break. It is a real question that someone submitted. How long before Evan's mullet is complete? I'll take that one. So Evan came up with an idea of growing a mullet, and I was so on board with that because it's awesome, okay? I think one, you're probably a little jealous too, though, right? No, I could grow a skullet. A, sc- a I, I skullet? I totally could. Like, I can still grow hair back here. No problem. Uh, but here's the thing. More people found out Evan was going to grow a mullet. How? How? You told him. No, you started telling a bunch of people. What do you think of Evan growing a mullet? I don't think so. Uh, So Evan wants to grow a mullet. So I'm just sharing from the platform. I don't think it should be done until people want it done. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is going to be so mad if that's the case. 
So reach out. Don't I also want done. you to know that I will forever <laughs> fall in the camp that I will never want you to cut it. Let's say it again. I what? will forever be in the camp of, uh, of exactly. always a moment. You can't do that. So reach out. Encourage Kate and Evan uh, to embrace the mullet for life. Hashtag for forever life. mullet. Hashtag forever mullet. mullet. I told my wife my goal is to get to Joe Dirt. Yeah, you wanted to Ooh. shake him. There's no way it's going to happen. That's a big goal. But that would be awesome. That would There's be awesome. no way. Great we're, question. We're talking like two years out. There's no way I'm keeping a mullet that long. We'll see. More people need to just talk About to him. About one more him. week until it's complete. That's it. Trust <laughs> me. Trust me. Okay. Uh, we're actually uh, going to begin wrapping it up right now. Um, we didn't know how long it would take for us to discuss a lot of these questions um, because this was not rehearsed. No, this, this is, is this is yeah. us just being honest about uh, our experiences with the questions you're submitting. So again, we could have been wrong uh, during this time, uh, but we love what Grace does in this moment uh, to us answering, but to you uh, listening as well. Um, and so uh, we want to just give you a quick heads up that if we didn't hit your question, we're going to hit it in the podcast. We're going to talk about stuff like uh, this one's more practical, like what, what version of the Bible would be best for me to read. Uh, this person, this person, this is a heavy one. Uh, they're asking about what the church can do when it comes to physical, emotional, mental abuse in relationships. Uh, someone asked, are, are there different gods and heavens? Uh, um, uh, what kind of resources can we find uh, since we aren't pastors? Stuff like that. There's a lot of other questions that we're going to get to in uh, this Wednesday's podcast. And so the podcast is called Live to Give Podcast. It's on all platforms. Search it. Um, and uh, Nate and I were the hosts of that podcast. And so we're going to be uh, talking about it this week, hitting all those other topics that we didn't get, get a chance to hit. However, we're going to answer one final question as we wrap up uh, because this is a pretty cool one that someone submitted and we f uh, felt like this would be a good one to end on. So here it is. What is the one single truth you wish everyone knew about God's love? Why don't we just start at the end and we'll, uh, we'll go down. Just one, Courtney. We can start at this end. Just one. We can start. Go Sam. Go Sam? Sam? No, that's okay. right. Go okay, ahead and start okay. down there. <laughs> so <laughs> the first thing I thought of, and this might be ridiculous, uh, is the movie The Princess Bride. Uh, inconceivable was the word that popped in my head, which I feel like might be a bailout, but it's not really meant to be. Uh, what is the one thing about God's love? It's so, we can't even comprehend it. It's inconceivable. So if you think of like the biggest love, the most love that you on earth here have experienced, the person that loves the most, the biggest loves you the most, that's not even close to the love that God has for you. Yeah, great. Next. Yeah. Oh, thank uh, you. So one thing, simply this, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, that's, that's the principle I think that I, I need to be reminded of over and over and over is the fact that God has never left me. God will never leave me, and it's because of his love. And so that, that really fuels a lot of how I operate. Uh, I love it. Uh, I, I would say God's grace, which is equivalent to his love, um, is far better, far greater, far far reaching <laughs> than, do one more? Just uh, than do one far far uh far uh, larger than <laughs> supersized <laughs> we're talking mcdonald's supersized can't hold it um his grace is far larger <laughs> than anything we could wrap our minds around um i i think we will be shocked um by his grace when we get to heaven when we sit before him 
um, I, I think it is even more offensive <laughs> than what we realize. And that's coming from someone who is like, I fall face first into grace. Like, I love it. I will talk about it nonstop. And I think even when I get to heaven and come before his throne, uh, it'll be crazy. It'll be mind-blowing how much bigger and better it is than what I think. And I think if you have a judgmental bone in your body towards anyone, a believer or not, you will hate heaven. <laughs> well, I, was, I, th- I think his grace is going to be that good that those people, they're going to show up and be like, you let them in? Like, come on. Oh. <laughs> You just wait. For real? I knew them. Do you know them, God? I knew them. My neighbors. I will be praying. They would never shut that dog up. I thought for sure. Moving on. Um, On that same note, I guess. um, The one truth is your value. You're worthy of his love. Like, it's not just for somebody that seems like they have it all together. It's not just for the other person. It's for you. He, you are so loved. And um, I guess that kind of mimics everything everybody else is saying. But our God is a God of redemption and is a God of love and peace and joy. And it's all for you. Jesus came for you specifically. Um, whoever you are, whatever you've done, his love and grace and all of that reaches out to you. And it's for you. So, I know for me, learning my value and my worth, it's still a process. I'm not there yet. But it's been the most freeing thing for me to be who I'm meant to be. And it's just, I want everybody to have that. I want everybody to know that they are so loved and they are worthy. I should have gone first. (laughs) (laughs) What do you say, Sam? Here we go. Give us a few far something. Yeah, we're going to go way out here. No, um, I'm just going to just echo, I think, a little bit of everybody because that is far larger. It's far larger, far far greater, greater, far farther. Um, No, no, I I definitely want to agree with Ashley and just say, like, if I had the one truth, it's going to be that God's love is for you. Like, he. Everything we talk about, all of the, the concepts that we're talking about, all of the, the things, the issues, every time we talk about a Bible story, every time we talk about God's love, what he's done for, for humanity, he's done it for you specifically. I think it's easy for us to look at to look at like even Jesus and what he did for us as like he did it for everyone and to get lost in a crowd. But but we it's it's hard sometimes for us to remember that like it's also for us individually. Like he sent the Holy Spirit for us individually. Like, he cares about you individually. So, yeah, that's, I think, for me, it's like, it's about you, even the most microscopic parts of you. His love is for you. Mm, That's good. Well, we want to say thank you for joining us, and thank you for uh, um, also just submitting questions, because we know some of those questions are very personal to you. Um, And you allowed us to speak into it, uh, although not within the details of it. Uh, So we understand that some of these questions came out of vulnerability from we just want to say thank you for participating in it. And again, we hope that you uh, um, listen to this coming week's uh, podcast on uh, Wednesday. Uh, I think it'll hit even more topics that are uh, potentially important for you. Uh, but let me just pray us out for the message time. Father, thank you so much for this moment that we got to um, just sit and talk about you, our Father, that we're your sons and daughters, um, and we are just delighting in who our Father is. Um, and so even if we got something wrong, God, we trust that uh, your, your grace is even greater than that. Um, and that somewhere along the lines, 
us as teachers, you'll correct us. The people who are listening, you'll correct uh, it for them too. Um, but you are just a father who delights in his children, uh, especially when they spend time with you. Father, we pray that uh, all the seeds are planted during this time, that you water them and allow them to grow in people's uh, hearts and minds, and that you also spur them not only to check out the podcast, but if they need further questions or discussions, they email us. Push them to do that because they, um, they don't need to sit alone in their question that they have. Uh, we're all here willing to uh, be there for them. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Thank you.